Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. We need as much money as we can. This is the Press Box. The age difference on this show. With Grady and Bischoff. I'm glad you're the one that went in on the details of how my No, come on, I'm feral. All right, there we go. Ed, Tyler, and Lindsay running the show today on a Tuesday. Welcome to the Press Box. A lot going on. Arguing about children standing next to World Cup players. Unbelievable. Singing the national What anthem. a waste of space. It is a waste. <laughs> I think Lindsay's right. I think they're international kids and they could all blow us away with their intelligence. They, probably they a tryout of some sort. Bunch of idiots. That's fine. I don't need to see them before the World Cup. <laughs> Shoo them away. I want some eight-year-old coming in here talking five languages and us having to leave the studio because we just feel so dumb. Shoo them away. Um, when do you, Lindsay was very worried about derailing the show. I'm always worried about derailing the show. How quickly do you think you'll do that today? Uh, over, under, on two segments. Wow. How is I mean, it, usually you have to derailed? give me the, the, well, you know, I'll, I'll hit the wrong button or the break will go <laughs> early. Somebody will call in impersonating a guest and I'll believe them. Like, yeah. Jared there's, got fooled by that too. Yeah. Well, at least Jared's up responding to my text messages because I've already sent him about four. Being like, oh, is this up. right? Is this right? Yeah. I just, yeah. I want to make sure I do a good job for you guys because I would want the same thing if I was in your chairs. Ah, that's okay. It can be a train wreck. Okay. Yeah, we'll we'll exactly. embrace the train wreck. Yes. All right. The first bite. Who would be the best hire for UNLV football? I'm a little depressed because my guy that I wanted right away probably isn't in it. And it's the first guy you list here on the rundown. Gary, oh, Gary Patterson, Patterson? Former US, former wait, wait. He's not player. in it at all? I don't. I mean, I don't think so. Okay. I, I don't. I mean, the, look, this is what happens on these searches, and it happens all the time, is that you try to get names, you try to figure out names, or you just wait completely until they announce someone. Um, but our business is trying to guess if they don't, you know, if they don't want to help us out. And uh, you try to do your best job reporting it. So Gary Patterson was a name that was mentioned very early by some reports. I got excited about that. Um, currently assistant at Texas, but TCU 2000, 2021, 189 and 79 has, the, has a statue of himself yeah. outside TCU. So I thought Gary Patterson was the best uh, candidate. Maybe he still is. Maybe we're going to be shocked and uh, it's going to be Gary Patterson. It uh, would have been maybe the best hire UNLV's ever made in yes. terms of, I mean, obviously like Harvey Hyde had some good success, yeah. even though they had to vacate a lot of those. John Robinson, John Robinson had some Robinson. success. But as far as like what their resume was before, like John Robinson and then T- Gary Patterson would be the two best for sure. Um, if that's an option for UNLV, it, it should already be done. Right. Uh, but the, the thing that's interesting to me is how many former head coaches have been mentioned as a candidate and how legitimate they are as a candidate. I don't know. But Gary Patterson's one. Mike Stoops is another. Uh, Bronco Mendenhall's been out there before. Um, Ed Orgeron is not a candidate, according to Bruce Feldman yesterday, which is... Hard pass, he said. Um, that feels like one where both might hard pass on each other. Like, if you're an athletic director hiring a football coach, Ed Ogeron should probably be a hard pass, uh, even though me as a radio host would have loved nothing more than Ed Ogeron to be, be the head coach. great for what we do. What are you worried about, violations? Uh, uh. He might not be the best guy overall, but yes, he would probably commit some sort of NCAA violations, and he would also give the best press conference. Did you but hear? he'd be great on the strip. Yeah. Yes. Did you hear that he crashed Sean McVay's wedding? 
I did not hear that. He was at like poolside at Sean McVay's wedding and he wasn't invited. And he was like, yeah, I've literally never met this guy. But he was just like living it up and being See, like, that's what party. We need. I, I agree that's with what you. We need. I think it would be brilliant. Yes, but it'd be great. Yeah, might cause a few more uh, hours of paperwork than intended. Ed Ogeron, just so everybody's aware, in three years won 10 games at Ole Miss. One of the worst coaches in Ole Miss history won the national championship with LSU, LSU like 15 with years later. With Joe Burrow. And Justin it's Jefferson. Unreal. And then got fired from LSU because he's right. not actually good at the whole football coaching thing. Uh, but probably the one that's been out there the most and probably the one that I, I guess is the most likely at this point is Mike Stoops. Uh, he's currently a linebackers coach at Kentucky, but he was the head coach at Arizona from 2004 to 2011. Did have a losing record. However, he took over a program that was not very good before he got there. Um, he's been an assistant in a lot of places, Kentucky, Alabama, Florida, Atlantic, Oklahoma, and Kansas State. And he has a really close relationship with Eric Harper, who's the AD at UNLV. Eric Harper was on his staff at Arizona, uh, told their very close friends. So I think that was the kind of precipice of why he became the main name out here for this job. So, like, as we're sitting here on a December 6th, should we assume Mike Stoops is the most likely guy to be the head coach, or is that putting too much stock into what people have? No, because of the relationship. I don't think I don't think it's too much stock. I think of all the lists, you know, ads tend to go back to their trees in terms of who they worked for, what coaches they knew best, and I don't know if uh, I don't know Eric Harper well enough to know if he knows Mike Stoops better than anyone, but he certainly knows Mike Stoops well. Worked at Arizona, worked under him. Uh, so I think that's why it was the original assumption that Mike Stoops was going to be a leading candidate here. So until we hear differently or until Mike Stoops denies this, which he hasn't, um, I would think he's among the leading candidates, if not the leading candidate. That, I think, is the, the interesting point there, that Mike Stoops hasn't denied this uh, because we've seen some national media members, whether it's like an Ed Ogeron or a Chris Peterson, they have tweeted out like, oh, I just talked to this guy. And he said it's not. So uh, he hasn't even right contacted. hasn't been contacted, or there's no interest. Whatever it is in the job, we have not heard that about Mike Stewart. Right. So I venture to guess, given that his name's been out there so much, that if he was either out of the running or, or didn't not want interested, it. or did yeah, that we would have heard that by right. now about Mike Stoops. So the curious part to me, when it comes to who Eric Harper's going to hire, has a lot to do with how much money does he have to offer as a salary. Marcus Arroyo was making $1.55 million uh, this past season. And a lot of these names that have been thrown out there that are former head coaches have had high salary head coaching positions. P5 jobs. Right. Ed Ogeron, after he won the national title, he got a raise $9 million a year yeah. at LSU. Yeah. Right. Um, Bronco Mendenhall, who was a name that was mentioned earlier. At Virginia. $4.5 million at Virginia. Um, Gary Patterson. Uh, he's at Texas right now as a special assistant or whatever it is. But when he was the head coach at TCU, his last salary was $6.1 million. If, if UNLV is going after a former head coach who's made four, five, six, nine million dollars $9 in a year, there's no way they're paying that much money for their head coach. So if you're no. getting that former head coach, you'd have to be finding somebody that's okay with coaching for... I mean, what, what do we think the realistic number is? one8 like, well, are they going to pay two million for the? Next it might be coach? like Colorado, where they don't have the money, but they're going to find it. <laughs> Nil money will uh, gather the people to the yard. Um, so, like I, the money side of it's interesting because, like, let's say let's say it was Gary Patterson, right, who made six point one as his last head right. coaching job. Is Gary Patterson coaching for let's just say two million, which would I be guess it depends. Really high. 
and I think I think Gary Patterson probably thinks he can do better. But let's take Mike Stoops, who's a position coach under his brother at Kentucky. Does Mike Stoops want to be a head coach again? Well, like, does the, he want to get back in and be a head coach again? So that might mean I'm going to make less this time, but I want to be a head coach again. I want to run a program. The interesting part with Mike Stoops, I don't know what his salary was when he was at um, Arizona, but it was quite a while ago, so it might have actually been a little less. He's only making, I say only, but he's only making $650,000 as an assistant, as the linebackers coach at Kentucky. So UNLV actually can offer that guy a raise. Right. Like, right. like, we know they were going to pay Mark Sorrell $1.55 million, so presumably they can pay that in their next salary. We know they can offer Mike Stoops a raise. So when you're looking at like how much money do they have to offer, what these other guys have been used to making, Mike Stoops makes a lot of sense again because yeah. they can offer him probably like a million-dollar raise to come be the head yes. coach at UNLV. And he gets to come back in as a head coach. It, 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 a lot of it makes sense that it would be Mike Stoops. The relationship side, Eric Harper saying he wants a former head coach and the money part of this. A lot of it makes sense for it to be Mike Stoops. So let me ask you this angle. What are the chances that we get a Desiree Reed Francois type of hire where it's a name that nobody has mentioned until like the day before they actually get hired? And it's like, oh, where did that person come from? I think that's a great chance. You think that could happen? I think that's a great chance it could happen. That it would be a coordinator, an assistant coach we have, you have down here, one name that has been mentioned. So it wouldn't be someone that was not mentioned is Dante Williams, the USC DB coach. Um, his name's been mentioned in, in different places. But let me ask you this. I, I just, I'm not sure if being a head coach is my number one kind of criteria of of someone who should be getting this job. But a DB coach, and he was an interim coach at USC, went 3-7 and seven as an interim. So let's just say he's one of these kind of coordinator positions. Is this too big of a risk again? Is it too big of a risk to one? Now he might be great. I, yeah. Like I said, but you're take, but you are taking a chance. You're taking a bigger chance, I think, than if you hired someone like Mike Stoops that had been a head coach who understands how to be a head coach. I think it depends on whose perspective you're looking at this from. If you're just looking at it from a UNLV uh, fan perspective or UNLV whatever the uh, outer view, what is the word? I mean, the macro view mm-hmm. of UNLV football. I don't think it matters that much because you can take the biggest risk you want. You can hire the high school coach, Tony Sanchez, because if if your coach fails, what happens four or five years from now or three years from now? You're in the same spot you are right now. It's not like you're losing anything if you hire a guy and he wins three games a year for the next four years. Um, from Eric Harper's perspective, though, it would be a risk because absolutely this is your yes this first is your big... and maybe only legitimate chance. Yes. To make a huge hire. And show, hey, look what I can do as an athletic director when it comes to hiring. But as far as like UNLV as a whole goes, does it really matter if they make a bad bad hire here and they're bad again for another four years? Like that's just, that's been the reality of UNLV football forever. So it's, it's not, you're not going to set the program back. The program's already set back. So I think from an Eric Harper perspective, maybe that's what it is. And maybe that's why in his press conference after he fired Marcus Arroyo, he's talked, he said two or three times. We want to have head coaching experience mm-hmm. because maybe he looks at it from a standpoint and says, I need somebody who's shown they can do this or that they've, they've at least been they've in this They've at least position. been in this seat. Right. And again, to go back to Mike Stoops, he took over that Arizona job. Arizona, um, before Mike Stoops got there, was 5-6, and 4-8, and eight, and then 2-10. and 10. 
right? They were two and ten the year before he got there. Mike uh, Stoops then went three and eight in each of his first two seasons, so there was not an immediate turnaround. But he did go six and six in his third year. He didn't go to a bowl game because we didn't have enough bowl games back then. Um, but he did go six and six in his third year. Eventually had him at eight and five, but that was his ceiling there. So you can pretty easily point to Mike Stoops and say, look, he's come into a bad situation and made it better. Yes. And he was the head coach for whatever, almost half a decade, more than half a decade. And we know he knows how to run a football program. I can understand why that appeals a lot to Eric Harper. I, 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 if we were looking at it right now, I understand if you're Eric Harper, why you hire Mike Stoops from almost every angle. I don't know if it's going to be the best hire, but I understand why if you're Eric Harper, you hire Mike Stoops. Is it an inspiring hire to you? Is there going to be an inspiring hire? I, we don't know. I mean, like, you know, if it's Gary Patterson, it's pretty inspiring. Like, there's, I see the phrase move the needle. There's been so many UNLV coaching searches in like five years. It's incredible. But the, the phrase that always comes up is, was that hire going to move the needle? Right. I don't think UNLV is capable of hiring a football coach that moves the needle. Because who moves the needle? Like, Deion Sanders would have moved the needle. They're not getting Deion Sanders. Yeah. Right. Maybe Gary Patterson moves the needle a little bit, right? Because, hey, I know that name. His TCU teams are pretty good. Hey, TCU's in the Final Four without him, but TCU's there. Like, maybe Gary Patterson does, but are they really landing Gary Patterson? To me, it just feels like the whole idea of move the needle. You know, he doesn't play in that playground. They don't, they're not capable right. of hiring the coach that's going to truly move the needle. They're going to have to hit on either a retread head coach that's going to be better a second time around or... Or one of these assistants right. and one of these coordinators or DB coaches. Right. I mean, you look at the basketball program. He was here for two years. They didn't go to the NCAA tournament. But Desiree Francois hit on TJ Otzelberger. Yes. He's a good basketball yes. coach. That as she, he's proven at yeah, his next stop. That she found at a lower level and hired. It didn't right. work out for UNLV here, but they she went and found a lower level guy and it worked. Marcus Oreo did not work. She went to the coordinator level, found a guy, said, here's your first head coaching job. That did not work. So... I don't think moving the needle is ever going to happen for UNLV football. Maybe it happens for UNLV basketball in the future, but I don't think it actually happens for football. All right. Coming up next, we'll get into some Golden Knights because this Paul Cotter guy is pretty good. We're back to the press box with Graney and Bischoff. First attempt this season for Smith. The lefty carves his way in. Right, then left, straight on. He scores! Riley Smith wins it for the Golden Knights. 4-3 4-3 the final in Boston. Lindsey Brown is in after the Golden Knights beat the Boston Bruins last night in a shootout. They did blow a 3-0 lead. They led that game 3-0 and ended up going to a shootout. So that's yeah, not ideal. But they did beat the Bruins in Boston without Alex Petrangelo and Jack Eichel. So the first thing here, and uh, Lindsey, this can be a question for you. Okay. I'm going to give you some stats first, actually, before the question. Yes, I love stats. Uh, Logan Thompson, in his career, has stopped 25 of 29 shots he's faced in the shootout. Um, I also, good. I'd also tell you this. Um, the Golden Knights might be the best shootout team in NHL history. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, who's the all-time leader in shootout wins in NHL history, is like the third best shootout goalie they've ever had. Malcolm Subban. So we have to go to good start. Malcolm Subban stopped 18 of 19 shootout shots he ever saw. Really? And, yeah. And now Logan Thompson has stopped 25 of 29. Skip over the Leonard stats. All right. Yeah. I can understand Leonard why. Actually the, shootout, not bad. It's a struggle. It's a little no, bit more actually, of a struggle. He's above, he was above average here. Yeah. His well, comparatively, it's a struggle. Yeah. His save percentage was like 630 or something when he was here. But why do you think Logan Thompson's so good at shootouts? 
Well, I think shootouts, I mean, they're they're not quite breakaways because it's not happening in, in live game time, but there's a certain mentality that you have to employ, and then there's different ways that you can take shortcuts or take uh, shots away from guys, and, and it's really not about getting too worked up into what the situation is and just trying to read the situation, but that guy's a competitor. He likes to gap out really far, which helps uh, a lot when it comes to uh, th- those shootout moves. It's all about maintaining that gap, and... Um, you know, it, it's just a team that somehow finds a way to win, it, like you said, especially with the, with the blown lead. But everybody in the NHL is doing that these days. How were you in shootouts? Well, we didn't really do shootouts at my level in college. But when we would uh, do the breakaway game in the day before practice, like it was very contentious. I would, me and the, the best shootout or at least breakaway people would be going after John after each other and stuff like that. That's how you get better. That's how you, you gr- iron sharpens iron, guys. <laughs> how they they sharpen the skates (laughs) the stone and the blade the gold knights have gotten to a point though if they go to a shootout i expect they're going to win to win it yeah Yeah. like they like i honestly got some snipers on this team though well no they suck at scoring that part they're not any good here's the amazing part um 25 of 29 that's logan thompson's career uh shootouts that he uh, stopped he's only won two of the five shootouts he's been in yeah he's he's been in five shootouts he's allowed four goals Yep. In five shootouts, and he's lost three of them. That's hilarious. Like, because last year yeah. they had ba- uh, what three straight shootouts where they scored like one goal. That's right. In, like, there was a bad attempts. streak there. We like, were hitting a lot of score. nets. And last night they only scored once too. So shootout wise, I expect Logan Thompson to be spectacular. I don't know. And for them to lose? Uh no. I they'll they'll score eventually. Hell, Paul Cotter yeah, missed last night. Yeah, put him out night, there. But he should have scored. He the goalie fell over, right. and he should have scored. <laughs> So that's what happens. And he had an open net. He just missed it. So that's the other fun part of last night's game. Mm-hmm. Paul Cotter. That He's, kid is special, guys. Two goals. Yep. And a scorer's eye versus a oh scorer's oh, touch. There you go. There you I, go. Like, uh, guys, there, oh, there's no, there's different ways that you can slice this up and, and really evaluate people as a talent. Because I've talked a lot about Keegan Colesar and how I, I was expecting him to have a big year, hopefully 15 goals. Maybe we're still on the pace. Um, because he's really good at getting himself into high danger scoring situations or, or, or following up his rebound or getting free and clear for an open look. And, and he just he can't execute at the level that would earn him like an actual scoring threat label. Paul Cotter is a scoring threat, and it's not because his shot is that good. And trust me, he has a great shot, but everybody can have a good shot at this level. It's like a good forehand in tennis. But when you can pick your spots, when you – can consistently command that from yourself and say, you know what, the goalie's a little bit to his left side, so he's favoring his glove, so I'm going to go far side blocker. Or or when he went back against the grain for his second goal. Like, that is a guy that has command of his game. And so when you see him put in the spot, like in the shootout, you would expect uh, uh, execution from him because he has shown you nothing different in live game speed. So he has the eye. He has the eye and he has the command and not everybody has that at this level. Like some people can shoot hard, but they've only shot, you know, bar down because I've been doing it since I was eight years old or I, I, I favor block or side. Like he is finding different spots, picking different spots in the net in different situations. And that's incredibly impressive for such a young player. Paul Cotter's what Phil Kessel was supposed to be. <laughs> I think Paul Carr would, would be very thankful if he could have halfway as decent of a career as Phil Kessel's has been. He's already better this year though. Okay. Yes. This is this is what Phil Kessel was supposed to be. Phil Kessel was like, "Hey, somebody's hurt." Jack According Eichel to your on the top to line. your then expectations, go to the top line and score. Yeah. Well, I mean, in all honesty, where why is Phil Kessel not on the top right. line? 
when Jack Eichel's out. Because Jack, because Phil Kessel's not a top-line player anymore. It's all about mat- matching up and matchups yeah. and who Paul he's playing Cotter, against. Paul Cotter's better. And uh, Phil Kessel got benched in the third period again. Well, some, sometimes people get benched. I mean, you blow a lead, that's what happens. Like, this is the league now, guys. Like, no, if you're up by two goals, don't expect to stay. And uh, if it's three or more uh, against certain teams like Boston, like Edmonton, like L.A., like there's a very strong chance that there's going to be a a rallying point. And so when that hits the fan, it's, I don't know, we have to all kind of get okay or at least adjust our expectations of what hockey is and and what is a punishable offense. And so I think you have to shorten your bench up to to get the best out of your team most nights. And sometimes that means Phil Kessel is going to be the guy on on the outside. Fine. Were you close to crying along with Bruce Cassidy? Uh, guys. Were you close to crying? I don't think I ever liked a hockey coach this much. And that includes my own. I mean, I like him better now that I'm not playing for him anymore. But I just, there's something about Bruce and his humanity. And that's something that's like really missing in the in the game of hockey. I mean, it's, it's, it's a ruthless game where it's like, yeah, I'll go chop you in the back of the legs for any sort of uh, edge forward ahead of you. Like, but he clearly spent a lot of time in Boston and meant a lot to him and same with that team. And so I think there's just a bunch of converging narratives that made him ripe for that situation and just see him a little, little trickle in the eye, a little glaze over some Krispy Kreme donuts and the old irises. I was like, God, I would battle for this man. Then they almost blew it for him. I know, but that just yeah. makes it even better that they were, they, it almost got away from there. There's a giant comeback. Yeah, David Pasternak doing what he does best. I mean, Marshan was trying to, like, that's how you know Paul Cotter can be something in this league is when Marshan is trying to push you around after the whistle. Yeah, he's trying distracted. to challenge the rook. Yeah, that's what he does. That's what he does. He's there to, to stir the pot and, and try to t- make you take a penalty. And uh, and he's going to try to take out the players that are the best running for him. And so I, I think you had a lot of motivated guys who wanted to play good for Bruce. I mean, he led the stretch uh, in the pregame skate. I mean, I, I, I oh, really yeah. like the the buy-in from this team and just the investment in each other. It doesn't you, happen every every season. Should you be allowed to play a tribute video for somebody you fired? <laughs> yeah. The Bruins fired that guy like five months ago. Out of ago. nowhere. Out of and, nowhere, too. And then they got a tribute video for him. Yeah. Well, it did lead him to the Stanley Cup final. It was special. I guess. But I mean, God, I guess that was a great game seven. You, I guess they do it for people you trade. Yeah. Even if they're there for like two weeks. That's my... You're, you're a legend. Oh, the Golden Knights played one for everybody. My, yes. my favorite <laughs> is the people who got Pavel Datsuk jerseys down in Arizona because he was just a salary cap dump. And so they're like, Coyotes le- legend, Pavel Datsuk. He's only ever played for their Detroit Red Wings. Like, it's just, it's brilliant. Does anybody have a Shea Weber Golden Knights jersey? Perhaps, oh. I sure, I'm sure somebody has it. Somebody paid a good two, $300. What if they got like the reverse retro and yeah. wasted on that? Buried on long-term IR. His bum ankle. Do you guys want to know what I think about Bruce Cassidy tearing up during his tribute video? You hated it. I liked it. Really? Yeah, because... Grinch's heart grows yeah, two sizes exactly. over there. The the tribute video, now granted it's coming from the organization, but the moment for Bruce Cassidy, what it's him and the fans. It's not him in the front office that fired no, touch, him. No, touching the, the heart and stuff, yeah. that was for the people cheering yeah. for him and standing him up. in and the building be, that he coached yeah. with yeah. the people that cheered for his team. Right. For, no, rare it is for an entire Boston sports arena to cheer for you. <laughs> When you're not, yeah, when you're not on the opposite team. Yeah, Even when you're one of the Boston players. Most well-behaved crowd TD Garden seen in a decade. <laughs> but I, I'm not, I, 
I enjoyed it. He should have cried more, honestly. He should have. He sh- yeah, he looked like he was fighting. He should just let it go. He did yeah. look like he was fighting. Yeah, just he let didn't it, look like. Well, that's what I mean. This is such a toxic sport. People just like don't even make eye contact with their own. Just do like the one wave, like acknowledge and then move on. Like no, he had a heartfelt moment, and because of that. Vegas was really good at overtaking the Boston defensemen and attacking their gaps, and that's why they built up that 3 <laughs> that nothing why? lead. You're that's inspired! Why? That's why that, you're inspired? By that, Phil Kessel. Both of, the, so, both of so those things magically working together. He should have kept crying before the second and third period so they wouldn't have blown the lead? Yeah. Okay. I mean, just, just wallowing those feels. Drake <laughs> does it all the time. What if he like, took the handkerchief out and he just started wiping away D- tears No, the dabbing, game? dabbing. Don't dabbing wipe, him. dab it. You know this, Ed. You were trying to cry. It was in the movie theater. Were you fake crying? No, I was on a couch. I was on a couch. <laughs> Got it. All right, coming up next, David Roth joins the show. We're happy to talk to him. He just seems happy to talk to anyone. David Roth from The Defector is with us on the Press Box. Subscribe to The Distraction on Stitcher and use the promo code DISTRACT for a free month of Stitcher Premium. Good morning, David. Hi, David. It's a a good time to have our resident New York Mets fan on the show. Well, why? Is is anything happening? I haven't really been following it very closely. Uh, They let one older pitcher leave and then signed an even older pitcher to take his place. So, all right, how do you feel as a Mets fan about losing DeGrom but getting Justin Verlander? Better than I think I did a day or so ago. the Grom thing is sad just because, you know, he came up as a Met. I watched him get great. You know, you develop a sentimental attachment. Also, you know, the more you learn about him, like, he's a weird guy. Like, it seems like it was very important to him to live on a specific type of ranch in a specific type of income tax <laughs> environment. And at some point, even Steve Cohen's money can't really argue with that. So, you know, I think that there was some sense that if it wound up being a bidding war against some other team, that Cohen wouldn't let the team you know, trying to get him, pay more. It doesn't seem like DeGrom even really wanted to come back to the Mets. In that case, I mean, yeah, like adding the one pitcher that is both older and better on the free agent market is, uh, in its way, very Mets. Like, if you go back and look at the, like, the last really good teams that they had before this year, like the 2006 Mets, everybody on that team is, like, 37 years old. And that was a, a way of building a team when you don't have a minor league system that works. Uh, so... There's more work to do, but I can't tell you that I'm mad about getting to watch Justin Verlander for two years. I think he'll probably pitch more innings than DeGrom. I think he'll be less dominant, but, you know, just from the last couple of years, like, I feel like every year at the start, or whatever, the last couple of years when we've gotten to the start of the season, one of you guys asks me how many innings I think DeGrom is going to pitch, and then I say some number that to me seems very reasonable, and then he throws one-third of that number of innings. So that is a Rangers fan problem now. I'm, I'm moving on. Uh, but yeah, I, I hope that the Mets training staff can uh, shepherd the last couple of years of, or the next couple of years of Verlander's career. He's been kind of bizarrely healthy for a guy who's basically my age. But I also know as someone who woke up with like mysterious neck pain a couple of days ago after doing nothing <laughs> all day long, that like it comes for you fast once you get into your forties. Okay, um, which team that is signed a marquee free agent? Uh, that is most likely going to finish third in their division is actually better. The Rangers or the Phillies? The Phillies seem better to me, and yet, like, there's obviously some recency bias there. They just got their first above-average defensive player, like, yesterday <laughs> afternoon. There's still a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense to me about that. But I just watched them go to the World Series last month, like everybody else, and or a couple months ago, and 
you know, there's still obviously um, some issues with that farm system with, you know, but if they're just going to let Dave Dombrowski spend some rich guy's money, like, yeah, no real problem there. The Rangers to me seem kind of weirdly far off given the free agent moves that they've made. And it's, you know, I don't know enough about, you know, is Josh Jump going to be good or any of the sort of like the people that they're going to need to fill out the spaces between guys who are, you know, getting paid at the top three or five at their position. But right now there's still, it has that kind of look of a team that has uh, got like the first pick in a fantasy draft with like 15 teams in it, and it's not a snake draft. So you get the one guy you really want, and then like 45 minutes later you get Marcus Semien. <laughs> And that's cool. Like he's a good player too. It's just that there's a lot of like extra connective tissue that you have to sort of fill out. If what we're hearing are the reports out there about what Aaron Judge wants in terms of this nine ten year deal and what you think of his player, would you give him that? I think you kind of have to now. That seems to be the trend. In it. I mean, we were talking about this at work yesterday about the idea of giving Trey Turner eleven years. He's twenty nine years old, and he's you know, an awfully good player uh, and has mostly been healthy the last few years. But a deal like when Trey Turner is 40, I don't think he's going to be stealing bases. He's probably going to be a first baseman or a corner outfielder. But if you stretch it out over that sufficiently long a period of time, I guess it, the average annual value of the deal goes down. And so with Judge, even if you do factor in that you're probably over the course of a 10-year deal with a guy whose body has had the issues that his has – and also that is just the physical size that he has, that a lot of times, like, big guys with certain types of skills age like milk, he's kind of not that. Like, he is a better athlete than you'd think given his size. I think if you're willing to accept eating a couple of those years and then possibly, you know, at the end, him being a DH that gets you 400 plate appearances per season, you're gonna, if you're willing to pay that long, you won't have to pay as much for the years where he's Aaron Judge. And again, this is like the ultimate not-my-money sort of decision because there's a part of me that sort of, you know, whatever money the Giants owner gives him is money that he's not donating to, like, Lauren Boebert's legal defense fund. So, like, yeah, not my problem. Go nuts. Uh, okay. What are, what's the list of teams that you think could actually sign Aaron Judge? Obviously the Yankees and the Giants, but, like, would the Dodgers make a play for him? The Padres apparently wanted to trade Turner. Would they like? What's the teams outside of the Giants and the Yankees that would actually get Aaron Judge? I haven't real. I don't really think that. Uh, other than the Giants and the Yankees, there is one. I think the Dodgers could pay anybody, and obviously they have space for him now. Uh, I think the first move for them is they're probably going to have to back up the truck for Carlos Correa or something like just, or you know, I guess. Dansby Swanson or something. There's a lot of shortstops out there. They just lost the best one, and I think that's probably going to be a priority for them. It's easier to produce outfielders or, you know. The thing with the Dodgers that is always amazing to me from the outside as a fan is the way that they're able to sort of pull players off the curb and then turn them into legitimate, like, 30-homer contributors. They also have a really good track record, though, of deciding who to pay when they pay that, you know, like Mookie Betts, they got it right. And I think, you know, with Kershaw, they've given him money over the course of different years. They that got a very good deal on him for next year, it seems like. I think it's a, I trust their judgment. Um, I haven't really heard them link to him as much as I would have expected, though. That, like, right now, it really does seem to be 
the Giants and the Yankees. The Yankees seem to be waiting for the Giants to make an offer. I sense it's going to go pretty quick. It seemed like as soon as the winter meetings were gaveled into session that a bunch of big deals got made. But your question about the contract is the thing. I think that if you know, the Giants sure have money under the cap, or cap, whatever, the luxury tax, the next couple of years, it's just the question of whether they really want to commit to his golden years. I sense the Yankees don't, but I also think that they can't let him go. Well, the Dodgers just gave Kershaw twenty million for a year at his age. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good deal. Verlander just got like forty five. It's a great deal for Kershaw. Yeah. You could fall off yeah. a cliff. You know, and still you be know, done. you know how I feel. Gets hurt a lot. He gets hurt. <laughs> you know, you know how I feel as a Dodger fan. <laughs> See, I, it's really refreshing to hear that from somebody who is a fan of a team that wins ninety nine games every yes, year. They're a machine. Yeah. As a, as a Mets fan, it's so hard. Like even with Degrom, like I couldn't. Obviously, he gets hurt a lot too. But I was so <laughs> grateful to have him because I'd just been watching Jason Vargas for like nonstop for the entirety of my life before that. And so there's a part of me that was just sort of always like, well, I hope he eats a very balanced diet. Like was just <laughs> very anxious about doing anything that might offend him or angry up his ligaments. Yeah, you're right. Kershaw gets hurt a lot, but Kershaw on any other team is like. Joe Namath on the Rams territory to me now. Like, I really hope he never pitches anywhere else. Did you uh, deliver your cardboard cutout to the lucky fan in New York? That's happening in January. Uh, We had a couple of exploratory calls with the video people. I made my suggestion, which is just drop it off at my house, and then you can follow me for 15 minutes as I walk into his apartment, and then I'll leave. They seem to have more ideas, uh, so there's a there's a good chance I wind up on the Staten Island ferry with it, which is great because that means there's a good chance that I wind up getting physically assaulted on the Staten Island ferry with it, which I think would be great video content for everybody, for all the fans out there. <laughs> uh, and before we let you go, how's Norbert? Norbert, how's Norbert? Norbert uh, canceled on me last week, but seems very conscientious. <laughs> he returns texts, um, and most importantly, has the five types of insurance and has, you know, answered the riddles three that get him in good with the co-op board. So I'm, I'm keeping my, uh, my head up. I want this done by Christmas and, uh, you know, I wanted it done by last Christmas too. I want a lot of things, but I do, <laughs> I do sense that there's some purchase there, which is good. It's just a question of, I, you know, like need to get him in here. And then I think I need to do what I did with the other electrician, which is basically be like, how many sockets do you want to replace elsewhere in the apartment to make this worth your while? It's uh, all pretty demeaning, but you know, we're in year or whatever, year two, month fifteen, or whatever it is of this thing. Like, I'll do what it takes. Yeah, I enjoy that the electrician you have the most confidence in is somebody that just canceled on you last week. Yes. Well, he, honestly, he's the best one I've met. The guy that came and. <laughs> did a great job evaluating stuff and was like, we don't play. I'll be back here in 10 minutes to fix all your stuff. <laughs> that dude wasn't insured right. So I have to deal with the um, slightly less swaggy Norbert. But as long as he's returning my text, I'm good. Like, if he stops doing that, then, uh, yeah, we will we'll just move to a house somewhere in the country. And that'll be it. All right. Good luck with your dishwasher. He's David Roth from Defector. David, as always, Thank you, David. appreciate it. Appreciate you guys. You. Thanks very much. Have a good one. You too. <sighs> Norbert canceling. Come on. You got to get the dishwasher. Norbert's the one installed. with all the insurances. Why is he canceling? I don't know. He, he get, seems like the most legitimate guy. He probably had to go get another level of insurance <laughs> to get it okay. All right. We got tickets to give away.
if you want to go see the Golden Knights take on the Philadelphia Flyers on Friday, December 9th. That's this Friday. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. We'll take caller number 9 at 702-364-1100. You'll win a pair of tickets to go see the Golden Knights take on the Flyers. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. Jacobs to the left of Carr and the shotgun. Snap. Back to pass. Walking left. Lofting left. To the end zone. Adams grabs it falling down. Touchdown Devontae Adams. He was on his backside and the ball landed in his left. One play. One touchdown. If you want to win $15,000... You can win it from us. And Aaron Taylor, the real estate guy, uh, trying to give you rent for a year, $15,000. They could pay your rent or mortgage. All you got to do is go to lvsportsnetwork.com today and enter for your chance to win $15,000 from ESPN Las Vegas and Aaron Taylor, the real estate guy. You must be 18 years or older to enter and complete rules are available at lvsportsnetwork.com. I think the important thing we need to get into here Ed, last night, uh, Lindsay apparently watched the Golden Knights game by going to Buffalo Wild Wings. Oh, okay. Yes. And at wherever she was sitting, writing down on her little note card notes about the Golden Knights game. I have to What's be prepared. Yeah. What else do you want me to yeah. do? Bring, bring my computer out and type them in and I don't remember them at there's, all? Well, I think there's wireless there. Yeah, but who wants to be the person at beat ups just mashing away on a keyboard? I think I'd think that was more normal than I'm not looking for normal. I'm not looking for normal. I'm looking for effective. I'm looking for productive. <laughs> I'm looking for people to say, what's up with that girl? Because if you're on the laptop, everybody's like, she's working. If I'm on a note, if I'm writing on a note card, she's doing a lot her of homework. possibilities. She's doing her homework. So I write all my thoughts that aren't related to sports as well. Like we got some poetry action going down. Slam. Okay, hold on. Another important question. Is that happening on the same note card? No, separate note cards. So you have two different note cards. One for poetry. It took me years to figure out what literal stationery I needed for me to be okay with, like, writing stuff down. And, like, if I messed it up, that I wasn't wasting paper. Like, that was literally the the hindrance for me, like, writing down my thoughts and getting stuff out. Because I was like, I don't want to waste paper. What if I mess it up? What if I... I write it in pencil and then it gets smudged. So now we use pen. I only use pen for note cards. I'm taking notes now. Like it's. Uh, you could not waste paper at all and use a laptop. But then I don't remember it. Yeah, that's fair. I my brain yeah. works the same yeah. way apparently. If yeah. I write things, it's in there. Not gonna forget it for like a year. Yeah, but do you write it on paper or do you mean? Oh, I haven't written things in like forever. No, you type it. Yeah. And then it gets lost in the cloud. Like, how do you keep track of everything or is it just a running total of of everything you just have recently wrote? I mean, I don't write that much. What am I typing out? I don't type out that much stuff. I put it it in the rundown that you guys get to look at. No, I do not. I do not write poetry (laughs) on a note card at Buffalo Wild Wings. I do not do that. You've got that on me. Only a beat up. Are you by yourself at this point? Uh, no, I, well, I was planning to be by myself and then I had one of those random, uh, simulation events where I ran into one of my friends as I was walking in. So I was like, Hey, mind if I join you? So it was, and you sat there with your friend while you were writing. I only wrote one of them. It's only like three <laughs> or four thoughts. Like if you guys are acting like this is the whole thing. Cotter shot to score scores. I versus touch oh, Marshy oh, following geez, up his own no, rebound. No, like, oh, no. you oh, know, wait a minute. what poem nicknames. did you write? I didn't write. Oh, I don't bring those with me here. Cause what oh. if I drop one on the floor and then somebody else has my IP. 
like. Does it have your name on it? I actually have like. Write a, your name on it, then it's yours. No, because then people are going to be like, this is brilliant. I need to publish it. I have like an entire <laughs> little satchel of writings in my little whale bag in my backpack over Do there. Do you need a blog? Yeah, if I remember to update it. That's my problem. It's like. Just, okay. Don't forget about blog. Just create like a Tumblr account. What is this, 2014? Yes. And just put it there. I don't know if I want people to have it, though. That's you my can, thing. Nobody has to find your Tumblr account. Yeah, but then it's so, somebody else is housing it. It's not mine, then. Like, I'm worried about this. It's like, this is my, these are my babies. Now, do you, <laughs> do you go around and, or go home and read what you've written in the past? Very I mean, rarely. Very rarely. I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking that in a few years, once I'm removed from this particular chapter of my life, I'll be able to look back on it and not get, like, super secondhand embarrassment. Like, I'll read back. I'll even, I can barely listen back to my, anything that I do on here either, because I'm just like, oh, that's awful. So... So you don't want to read it is what you're telling me. Sometimes I do. It just depends on where I am in the pendulum of God complex. Because like sometimes I think I'm the most brilliant person on the earth. And then other times I'm like, why do I exist? I don't deserve it. So it's like, where am I in the pendulum? Depends. Actually, in my high school, um, started a poetry club. Really? Yes. I would have not joined it. Uh, we had a, uh, it was like every Monday or Tuesday, we had like a 20 minute period cut out of our day where you're supposed to go to a club. Yeah, and my senior Extracurriculars. Year, I didn't have one. And oh. if you didn't have one, you were supposed to like go to the gym and just sit there. So <laughs> I was like, <laughs> you're not gonna lift things up and put them down again. Right. I mean, that's so usually like, what you do when you go to the gym. I was like, talked to my English teacher, like, can we just make a club so we can just hang out in here and did a poetry club because I read this poem in English class. That's dumbest thing I've ever read, but it was great. I'm gonna read an entire poem for you. This is called The Red Wheelbarrow wow. by William Carlos Williams. Great <gasps> name. So much depends upon a red wheelbarrow glazed with rainwater beside the white chickens. What? That's it. That's the end of the poem. But what and about I was, the brown chickens? And I was like, yeah. I can just write. I don't know why he's by the chickens. I can just write obscure things and call it poetry. Like, oh, poetry absolutely. Class. Yeah, absolutely. That's all it is. It's very so, simple. It's just your thoughts. I was very inspired by that. I remember that like 15 years later. Yeah. Very excited about the red wheelbarrow poem. That was the poem. Yeah, that's the poem that I was like, all right, I can do that for 20 minutes. But what about... Just write abstract things about the white chickens and the red a wheelbarrow. A more scratched up wheelbarrow. Is this a new wheelbarrow? Or what about I, the one that's been it's around? Gl it's glistening, so it's probably a well, new one. That's what I mean. It's new, so it's yeah. like, has no, it's it glazed. done any work? Has it seen the trials and tribulations of the, yeah. of the garden gnome wars? William Carlos Williams left it up to interpretation because he only gave you uh, four lines. I don't know how much dog poop's been scooped into that wheelbarrow. I don't know if I can trust what it says. Wait, you don't scoop the dog poop into the wheelbarrow. So I don't have a dog. What? Huh? No, I don't I don't do that. Yeah. And I've got a dog. It's plastic. And we've baggies. got a wheelbarrow. Do you? you? Do. Oh yeah, we move rock. Does it glisten? Move rock. No, Wait, it's how an old one. Move rock. <laughs> a lot. Move rock. A lot. Really? Move rock a lot. I do not move, own a wheelbarrow. Moved rock the other day for a fountain. Put a fountain in. Yeah. Big what? what big you boulder. got waterworks over there? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. my we have god, went wild grady style. We have fountains. Yeah, my god. Sure. The Absolutely. absolute worst was when I was growing up with my mom. We had a wheelbarrow, obviously, uh, that was older than me somehow. And the tire would go flat on a regular basis. Yes. And my mother would tell me to just use it. Yeah. <laughs> Figure it out, Tyler. I don't know how I'm not, don't have bigger muscles. It was uh, pushing a wheelbarrow without a flat those tire. Are, those those are, not, are That's not easy moving rock with the flat tire. No. Oh, the nightmare. Me. We had to dig a little trench so the front yard wouldn't flood. What a nightmare that was. Good thing we got a wheelbarrow with a working tire sometimes.